0: You don't control the situation; none, none of us do. But it's all about perception, right? Like, like we definitely can control how we perceive things. There's also another, another saying in in, in Stoicism, a morfati, which is love of fate. So when when the bad thing happens, or the thing that that you don't wish would happen, when that happens, you, know, you say a fati, I love it. Like this is exactly what I need. This is what's going to push me to get better, and and, and ultimately get me to where I want to be.
1: From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore and we're back with the third and final episode featuring my friend Chris Frederick, Deputy CISO at Baxter International. After making it through a difficult breach, Chris knew it was time to move on to new opportunities. The job he took next was promising, but didn't turn out as expected. We cover his methods for managing emotions and maintaining a productive outlook, all while searching for new roles in this current job market. Leaving your role, whether by choice or by force can be daunting. So when is it time to exit your organization post breach? How can you stay positive in the face of rejection and what good and bad questions should you watch out for during a job interview? Okay, so we're we're now at part 3 of this conversation and I think this is probably going to be I hope uh, I think my favorite section because it's where kind of Chris and I split apart a little bit and he goes off onto this great adventure. So he's the guy now and he decides to leave. Chris, this is a, a, a great company, a, a, a huge name running a world-class sock. I would say, and great mission, amazing people. Why do you leave?
0: Yeah, yeah, so it was um again it was another one of those 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 times one of those inflection points in, in in your career where um you know I I had been been kind of in in living in the sock 24 by 7 right for for a number of years we had all gone through this big emotional event of the breach and then as as time goes on the sting of the breach wears off and other leaders leave, people come into the organization that that weren't there during the the time of this significant emotional event. And ultimately, it it almost kind of turns into in some ways and turns into a compliance exercise, a a checkbox kind of thing. But um, I was I was burnt out. I was looking for a new challenge. And I I distinctly remember this is another one of those kind of inflection points, as I said, where we have another another mutual acquaintance. He and I were we're going for a, a one-on-one and walking around the building. It was a nice day outside and he knew I was burnt out and I was looking for, for a different role. And he had said, Hey, like if, if there's, as you're looking at roles, if, if there's something, if there's a role that scares you or makes you pause, that's the one to go for. And that's ultimately kind of what, what set me down this, this career path of becoming a, a CISO is that's the role that scares me the most and the role that I thought would, would push me the most out of my comfort zone. So I would, would grow.
1: Yeah, I think it was a great move. I was so proud to see you go. And I think it was really wise. Uh, You found a situation where there was an incumbent CISO who was getting ready to retire. And this company, a big company, wanted kind of to bring in somebody who's going to be the heir apparent and kind of bring them in in this transition, which I think is awesome. It's too bad this doesn't happen more often, right? either to have someone in-house that you're sort of managing to replace the CISO or bring it from the outside to be sort of the deputy to, to take over. But this almost never happens. Uh, even if we, and I think it should, because uh, I think it'd be a, a really nice way to have a smooth transition. Uh, instead, what happens is typically it's, it's never anyone that's internal. It's almost never someone who's internal from what i see speaking to hundreds of cisos but setting that aside you take this position i was excited you're excited what happens
0: yeah so, so slight slight correction he wasn't planning to retire but he had a set of, of, of career goals that, that he had in mind and you know he you're talking about working up he was he was planning to, to kind of move on up and in the organization and do other things so it really, from the, the very first interview, he he told me he's like, "Hey, I'm looking for someone to be my right hand, help me run the program, and ultimately replace me at some point." So that was exactly what I was looking for at the time, and um, you know stepped stepped into that role. Did that for about, uh, gosh, for about a year, and then right at the tail end of my first year, he left for another opportunity, and then then again the call call came down asking me to step up into the interim Cecil role for. For a period of time, and which um, I did that for about six months, and threw my hat in for the official role there. And as, as you said, it didn't work out for me there. You know, the, the company wanted a sitting CISO to come in and fill the role, which I, I understand. But uh, that still was a you know one one of a, another kind of inflection point where I had to go back and and do a lot of soul searching on on myself and um, working through a lot of those those emotions.
1: How long were you there in total?
0: Just under two years total.
1: One of the things we talk about a lot on the show is interviewing. And when you go through a tough time or when there's when there's sort of unmet expectations, would you have asked different questions? Would you have entered it any differently? So I'll ask you this. Would you, knowing what you know now about all of what happened at that comp- at that specific employer and that specific situation, would you have gone into it any differently?
0: Great question. And I, I think about that a lot, like, like going into what I... Do things differently, and what I've had made different choices. I guess that's the the true test of any dis- decision. I think, as they say in the Matrix, would you make the same decision twice. But yeah, I would absolutely make the same decision again, even though it, it was it was a rough time and and a lot of ups and downs for me there and and whatnot. I still I learned and I grew immensely from my time there. So definitely uh, would would do it again and uh, make make the same decision again. I am um, you're kind of talking about you know stoicism like that getting into stoicism kind of pre pre pre-pandemic was was a big big help for me for some of those those down those those low points and anybody who who practices stoicism or follows it it kind of the the key the key foundational piece of it is we don't control what happens we control how we respond right so not getting the CISO job and then other things that happen like I don't control that but what I do control is how I respond and how I perceive those things so that was a huge help for me during that time and definitely something that, that, that helped
1: me. Well, so unpack a little bit of that for me, right? So you, you would not have changed the decision. You're happy that what, even though it was difficult, that what happened happened, right? You, you learned a lot. What did you learn? Like outline if you had to, if I'm interviewing you now, To say, you know what, what started off, you were gonna be the guy, it didn't work out, this right. What did you learn? What did you was it a set of experiences that were directly related to the job? Was it a set of experiences that were not related to the job that were more situational? Or both?
0: Yeah, I'd say probably a little bit of both. You know, definitely some some of the experiences that that come along with it. I had I had the opportunity to to give presentations to to SLTs and, and, and boards and all that, which I never would have had. Prior to, which was was definitely something that that helped me a lot and helped help my self confidence, but but also kind of going to other kind of events and and, and interfacing more with other other CSOs kind of helped me like oh yeah I, I, maybe I do belong as, as part of this club right so those experiences all kind of helped me help me get to, to kind of that place mentally where it's like yeah I can I, I, I can I can hang with this group and this is kind of where. Where
1: I want to be. It's funny how the best of us will sometimes question, you know, do I belong here? Should I be here? Am I good enough? You know, it's one of the things you and I have had a chance to talk about and reflect on, certainly over the past six months or so, where I know there's been cases where I've had to remind you, I was like, Chris, you've got an absolute metric ton of experience. Like there is no like I meet a lot of CIS hoes, and there's some great ones. But if I do a cross-section of your experiences that you've you've managed vulnerability management, insider threat, you've been a technician with network security, and in point, you've deployed all kinds of solutions. You've had breach experience, you've had client management experience, you've had, you know, CISO, you know, acting. Like there's this bundle of experience that is a really rare combination and still there are situations where you find yourself am I am I good enough should I be here For those that are listening because there's someone out there thinking the same damn thing right now about some situation they're in, what advice do you have to them?
0: Yeah again it's, it's just drawing from from stoicism right where you don't you don't control the situation none, none of us do but it's all about perception. Right, like like we definitely can control how we perceive things. There's also another another saying in in, in stoicism, amor fati, which is love of fate. So when when the bad thing happens or, or the thing that that you don't wish would happen, when that happens, you, know, you say amor fati. I love it. Like this is exactly what I need. This is what's going to push me to get better, and and, and ultimately get me to where I want to be.
1: I think those are very important to remember and I respect them. Uh, I enjoy stoicism as well. Probably not as much as you, just because I know you've committed more time to it. I've been more recreational to my detriment. But what if you're talking to someone who has no idea about stoicism and doesn't want to hear about this sort of this sort of religious take? It's not religious, but this sort of bigger, like, what do you tell them? Like, what's the thing like, all right, hey, and maybe if you need an extra color or emotion, or maybe a, a laugh before you give the answer, like what would Steve say to you about this? Like you're, like what? What's sort of the wake up? You know, hey, damn it, yeah, it's a it's a bad situation. But what is that?
0: Well, I I I, I think you, you probably don't give yourself enough uh, credit there, because I think I think back a lot, on a lot of the stuff that, that that we would talk about and leadership topics and and just personal life stuff, and a lot of those. Map almost well, map map very well over to stoicism, so you're you're probably more of a practicing stoic than than, than you realize, I think. But no, it's it's um again like a lot of it kind of comes from you. Again, like I think there's there's a lot of lessons even even as a from from a technical perspective. I think there's and I'm going to do a talk on this someday of, of kind of stoicism for modern day infosec and all these these lessons we can learn from this two thousand year old philosophy. Not like for instance, the breach. Right. Like again, the fact that we got breached doesn't matter. Fact is well what matters is how you respond to that event. And you can re- you can respond well or you can respond poorly, right? So again, doesn't matter that it happened, but how you respond is what, what what matters.
1: So it's funny you say that. That's one of my I think I had that maybe in one of the talks I gave post breach, where it's the evaluation doesn't come from the breach. The evaluation comes from how you respond. Right? You will be evaluated On that more than anything else, which is a a similar roundabout way of what you just said, which I think is is that actually, I think, would be an amazing presentation. And I'd like to help you with that if I can. That would be an amazing, an amazing thing. I think it would be very popular presentation because there's there's so many lessons. And think back too. I mean, again, there's moving into leadership, there's managing, doing incident response. We did a lot of that. Then breach response, the recovery, right? All these things. Uh, and then there's the excitement of new jobs. There's, you know, the, the severance from them. And then there's the job hunt. All of this applies across that, that arc. And you were going to make a point about when it's time to leave. And I don't think you covered it. When you make a decision, when it's time to go post breach, one of the things I used to say I had someone ask me out of an audience, they said, well, when do you know when the breach is through? And I said, the breach is over when the executives begin acting the way they did the day before the breach occurred. And so that was always been an indicator for me. But you had something similar, you'd say. What, when is the breach? The breach goes from a what and becomes a what?
0: Yeah, it, it goes from this significant emotional event, right, to, to a compliance exercise, to a checkbox. Right. And that's, um, especially for people who've lived through that significant event, that's, that definitely takes uh, the wind out of your sails for sure.
1: Yeah. It's, it's cooperation goes to near zero and everyone kind of changes back and starts doing dumb stuff that gets us, you know, in trouble again. It's kind of, the yeah.
0: And and it almost becomes, uh, oh, that breach that, that thing that happened back when, like, yeah, I wasn't there for that. Like they, there's no, there's no attachment to that event as new people come in, which is, Again, new people coming in is, is good for that perspective, but when they don't share that, that, that same level of attachment to the event, that's, that's deflating.
1: So let's jump into, so now it's time to, to look for, and this, I, I, in my mind, this is one of the most valuable things we can talk about, but it's probably one of the more difficult things. You know, there's been a lot of emotional things, situations that you and I have shared uh, through our lives and through our career. But this is a pretty, pretty heavy one. And it's a lot of damn work. You know, we all have different constraints, family constraints, geographic constraints, and just preferences on jobs and, and companies and salaries and all these. So it's, it's not an overnight thing. I've had uh, many CISOs say to find the right job and the interview process and finding the right job is at least a year in many cases. It's not that way for everyone, but it's often the case. I've heard this. Tell me about let's just put it this way how many people did you talk to about new work
0: quite a bit so as we all kind of know the 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 job market is is a bit flooded and a bit saturated right now with all the the layoffs and things that are happening so competition is fierce especially for for remote roles. and if you're you're not willing to to uproot your family and 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 move someplace different it's very very challenging i talked to uh, well over, or, or I, I at least kind of my my application count was well over 400 applications over the period of, of over the period of the year, pretty, pretty much.
1: And I am I am astounded by this because I know your pedigree, I know your experience, and I'll say this very vain and and silly sounding statement, but. My goal, my personal goal, and you and I talked about this, and again, this I acknowledge this is silly, but we've interviewed a guy by the name of Mark Weatherford a couple of times. And he, I always joke, he's the guy that always gets the call. Mark Weatherford doesn't have to use his, his resume. He probably keeps it updated, but Mark doesn't need to because he's worked for several presidents, several governors. He's connected, you know, naval intelligence, all this stuff, right? He gets phone calls. Jobs find him. And I always kind of admired that and wanted to be that kind of person, be that guy. And while I won't compare myself or either of us to him, I kind of thought, you know, this is we've got some some chops. We've got, you know, excellent leadership experience. You know, we would pride ourselves on things like employee retention and diversity of the team. And we've got all this. And you went on and did uh, amazing, great things and other high pressure situations and had success and then loss like, this isn't going to take 400 applications for Chris. And so it blew my mind and it was stressful for me as well. Obviously not as impactful, right? It's going gonna, gonna to be hit you harder than me, but uh, 400, that's insane. So my question to you then, we talked about picking up stoicism and how that helped, but setting that aside, what did you learn through that process, through those months of interviews and cycles? What should security recruiters be doing differently? Let's start there.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. I had I had a number of uh, a number of applications that either kind of went into a black hole, and, and, and you never ever hear anything. There's a whole lot of a lot of ghosting that, that that happens. A whole lot of dependence upon machine learning and AI to kind of read through some of these and scan these resumes and make decisions without kind of the full context based off of keywords and things like that. Like I had, had one that, that, uh, I was, I was talking to, to some folks and, and they was like, yeah, yeah, we'll have you in for an interview. And then two days later, I get the rejection letter. I was like, wait a minute. I thought, thought we were going to ha- have a conversation. It's like, oh yeah, our system just, you know, then not you because you don't live in a certain state kind of thing. So that was, um, a whole lot of that going on. So I, I, I would say, Again, not, I know not all recruiters or InfoSec professionals or have a background in it, but but definitely having kind of familiarity with, with our industry and our field, I think would, would, would go a long way. So, you, so you're not just looking for a CISSP and you're not looking for X number of years of experience. You have to look at more, more context there.
1: So what'd you learn in the interview process, right? You've had a lot of, you did have a lot of interviews and you had a lot of questions. What are some commonalities of the things that they were, that you were getting asked, right? So some of these didn't work out. Uh, you didn't get offers from, from, I think, enough, right? But I mean, what were, through this process, what were they asking for? What, they're, they're interviewing you, they see your resume, they see all this experience. Uh, did you ever, like, what's maybe the silliest question you ever had asked? Do you, you recall anything? It's just like, boy, that was dumb. Yeah,
0: I remember there was one that was, um, it was overly technical. Like, like, like you mentioned, like, like we talked about before, is as you, you go up in leadership, like, like some of that is supposed to, supposed to wane a bit because you're, you have teams that you trust to do those things. And, uh, there was this one interview that was like super, super technical, like asking me, like, Diffie Homer at key exchange and, you know, like, like really getting into the, the nuts and bolts of, of encryption and whatnot. I'm like, gosh, like, it, like what? what role am I interviewing here for, right? So uh, that that was probably one of the stranger ones. Yeah,
1: they wanted to get you all Alice and bobbed into asymmetric. Yeah, I couldn't answer. I would screw that question up for sure. I, I, I mean, I would remember part of it. I used to nerd around with some of that as we all did. But I mean, what is it they're really trying to figure out? I mean, that's what I would wonder. It's like, what are you really, who are you hiring? What is this? Like, this is, I mean, are you really, Name me one cryptographic thing that you do that's not being supplied already from a vendor. Like, are you writing this stuff? Are you like, yeah, that would be my... What do you think, what was one of the best questions you've had asked during this process? Because I know you had a lot of interviews. Uh, what's something you're like, damn, that's good.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a few that stand out. I think one of the, a couple of the big ones that stand out was basically, again, and I, I think this person was trying to, to get me and, well, and, and she, she became my boss, but she was trying to get me to tell a story. And then she was asking me about my uh, inflection points in my career and kind of like the big milestones. I think that that was one of the big ones, because, again, like to me, that tells me that that she's interested in me as a person and not just, you know, not just as a resume. So that was a big, profound one. And another one that came up that that I really liked was um, asking me, what do I look for in in teammates and colleagues and things like that? So,
1: Mm. so. You mentioned some of the inflection points. What do you look for in your colleagues? How'd you answer that?
0: Again, a lot of the stuff that that, that we've talked about in terms of high candor, trust—you know, being able to to have a difficult conversation and and, and know that that they're not going to take offense or uh, they're not going to think that I'm out to to get them or that I'm playing politics or anything like that. Again, it's it's about you know building those 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 deep trusting relationships.
1: I'm gonna have to go back and take. And maybe it's a, a good thing for the listeners out there to maybe take note of. I think it's a good storytelling opportunity. Uh, what are the inflection points? Right. I can probably name them off the top of my head for my life, but focusing a little bit, putting a lens on my career, I don't know that I would have all of the best ones lined up. Like, I think I would have to, to ponder what would be the three or four best. Yeah. And when, the, when she was asking for inflection points, Chris, did she mean like, when was a big decision made or a change made or just a realization of something or, or both?
0: Probably more of the latter, I
1: think. Yeah, I remember a point. I don't know if you were on this call or not, but I can remember one for me that turned the corner. I took over a team that was not very well respected. And it was a they I, for a while I had Active Directory and people would get on these calls. There's only a handful of people that managed AD for this massive company. And they would get on these calls and just berate, just make these, these poor guys feel terrible. And someone joined this outage call and, and did just that to, to one of my folks. And I can remember I got so mad, my chest tightened up, probably not a, a good thing, but I kind of lost it. I was like, who said that? I was like, who just spoke? And my statement was, I will not tolerate, I will not allow you to speak to any of my staff that way ever again. Is that clear? I said, now I want to know who you report to, and I want them on this call. I said, and I'm going to promise you. And it was about, they were saying that we had caused a problem for them. I said, we are not leaving this call. No one's going to leave this call until your problem is fixed. It's like, so those are the two things that are going to happen. And I think that was an inflection point, maybe not so much for me, but the folks on that team finally realized, like, we finally have an advocate. And they told me that. And I'll remember that always. And so that might be a smaller one, but maybe a big one for them. You know, when you take over a team, and you finally feel like that they realize that you have their back is a, to me, a very powerful thing, a very special thing. Do you have any mem- memories that are maybe similar?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, you know, again, kind of going back to the the high kinder genuine feedback, there's a, another acquaintance. We, we both have a person who, who doesn't mince words, right? And and when he gets praise, like, you know, he really, really means oh, it.
1: I know who you're going to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh huh. Yeah. So that, and I still still have a great relationship with him. I talk to him regularly, but but again, like that, that's another one of those where any feedback he gives, like is, if it's good, like truly, truly means it, like means a lot.
1: Yeah. No. Good dude. Uh, I mean, for the listener, can you elaborate of the situation just so they're not left in the dark here? We gotta we gotta fill them in. Was there was there an event that that person gave praise at Uh about? To you?
0: No. No. It was just you know. You know I think it might have been during during my time, you know, coming, coming into leadership and then he had kind of come over to the team and, you know, him, him, I remember him telling me like, I can tell that you care, which again, means, means a lot.
1: That same person called me on Christmas Eve once. I'll never forget that. I believe it was Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. One of the two, but, um, special person. Well, Hey, Chris, now you've, you've gone through all these interviews. You've, you've landed in a great spot any other points of reflection, we're kind of this, we're going to kind of close out this sort of chapter three, but there's a couple more things we can cover. Anything out of that process that you reflect on now, obviously I know you're excited. You're back at it. You're a couple weeks in, uh, on the new role. Now, uh, that's all going well, but as you kind of take a deep breath and exhale, uh, anything else through this journey that you're like, wow, damn, that's interesting. And I want to make sure that someone else hears this, uh, if Going through it themselves,
0: yeah, yeah, so a couple of things that I learned going through through that whole process is how how important it is to have a routine, right, like so you're not just spending eight hours a day job searching right, so having a routine where you set aside some time for that, but also set aside some time for kind of personal things that you like to do, like like for me it's it's playing guitar and and, and writing music. I learned over that that course that i that I also need, uh, I also need a physical hobby as well, so for me. That became cycling and, and getting outdoors and, and, and exercising and, and, and working on fitness. So I would routinely go out on, on the bike. I would go out in a bad mood. And I would always, always, always come back with a new perspective, a new way of thinking of things. Again, drawing from, from stoicism and, and stuff stuff that, that, that we had talked about in others as well. I distinctly remember one one particular bike ride. I was out and it was a particularly bad day. I was in a really, really bad mood. and on i was on the bike and the song that came on 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 the headphones was uh stand by me which this was a this was a cover this was a you know a a more pumped up version for working out but the second verse of that song right where it's uh the sky we look upon should tumble and fall or the mountain should fall into the sea right I, i had a moment there where it's like like this this work stuff we do is important and it enables a lot of things but the sky is not falling and the mountains aren't crumbling into the sea right now, right? And as long as I have kind of my support system, my my wife and, and and my family, and my friends, and the people that I love and care about with me, there's there's no need to cry or be afraid of that, right? So that was a big kind of another inflection point for me, uh, again. And had I had I not been out focusing on on myself and my my fitness and, and, and been outdoors, I don't think I would have come to that realization. It would just been in a grumpy mood all day
1: yeah yeah no that's a great a great story and the other thing i know that you went and did is uh you volunteered at the humane society which for those that know me well know that i like dogs animals but especially dogs typically more than people uh, i say that kind of half jokingly only but that i think is is good for the soul as well
0: yeah absolutely and again ha- having the, the routine right so so getting up in the morning and having some place to go and even if it's to go go play with some dogs for you know a couple hours, like having that routine is is so important.
1: Yeah, no, that's 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 great advice. I'll finally ask the the final question, which is a part of every show. We've covered so much; you've already kind of answered it, but it's maybe just a chance now for you to I don't know reinforce an earlier point. And that's uh, pursuant to the name of our show, which is the New CISO. What does being a New CISO uh, mean to you?
0: Yeah, so so. Thanks for having me on, Steve. This has been a lot of fun. I think it, it, it's all the things your, your previous guests have said about, about being a business enabler and speaking the language of business and all of those things. But I think more important than that, it's, it's being a true servant leader to, to the teams that, that we ultimately work for as, as security leaders. You, you and I talked about this and we as security professionals, we are, are tasked with the impossible. And in some cases, tasked with the impossible for those who, who may not fully understand or grasp the the complexity or the or the gravity of what we do in cybersecurity. So it's important to uh, create an environment where those people, the people who are doing the work, feel safe, feel protected, and, and hopefully they they never ever go home feeling like they are being tasked with the impossible for the ungrateful.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And that's actually I had a presentation I gave called "The Impossible for the Ungrateful."
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah comes from you yeah,
1: yeah i didn't know that it did but yeah i had to talk about that yeah yeah well chris thank you so much this has been uh many many years in the making and i'm glad you're able to join us and share and this is what our community needs more of and uh thank you for being a part of it thank you for being part of our virtual mentorship that we produce here thank you so much that is it for this episode of the new ciso thank you for listening Check out more episodes on xbeam.com forward slash podcast. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.